You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and this is episode 90. 91. 90 or 91? 11 billion. No, I want to get this right. I'm almost <laughs> certain it was, it was 90 in the email thread earlier. Oh, okay, then it's episode 90. Look at that. Episode 90. Uh, I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me are my regular panelists, freelance writer Julian Murdoch. I love being a panelist. It makes me feel like I have to panel your living room. You know what? That might actually be nice. <laughs> you got to be careful what you say around this guy. Because if you're offering, you know, I have some money. Very little. <laughs> you can have it. Enough for panel. Just to have you work on my house. Say, Julian Rabbit Murdoch worked on my house. And now we've taken him to court. And that would just be perfect. <laughs> and you can sue me for all my money, and you can have my PlayStation, because that's about it. I would take the PlayStation. Also, freelance writer Rob Zachney. Good evening, everyone. So what home repairs are you volunteering for? Um, well, see, I have no useful skills. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, like, there's really not much I could do that you don't already not do. Oh, Great bunch of losers all right uh this week's topic is inspired by a story i read on rock paper shotgun last week that many people read about a genetic algorithm that has was programmed to find the best most optimal way to win a match of starcraft 2 uh this uh genetic algorithm which is something people have been doing for game theory and other uh bioscience and neurological and psychological stuff for many years uh just designed different openings played them against each other and found one that won and it counts on a bit of an exploit to be successful and this is actually quite interesting and quite cool but the question it raised for me as it does for many uh strategy gamers and gamers in general is what is the place of a build order what is the place of an opening move of getting everything planned out from the very beginning in a strategy game. Does it take strategy out? How does it change how we think of strategy games? Um, how important are build orders? Um, and that sort of thing. This sort of comes also a friend of mine I was talking to, a um, good friend, and I showed him this article, and he said this is why he doesn't play strategy games. He says, look, if you can do this sort of thing and be winning like 80% of the time, where's the fun in that? Now, ironically, he plays a lot of sports games uh, where you could, for many years, do the same moves and win over and over again. But that's another story. So, are Julian, we about uh, Bill pardon? Are we talking about Bill Abner? Because no, we, we are not. Ta- Bill Abner. We are. We are not talking about Bill Abner. Bill okay. Abner. Oh, phew. No, Bill is not that kind of guy. Bill, Bill understands the subtleties of strategy games. Uh, so, I want to start with you, Julian, because I raised this, this topic with you, and you were thought it was a great topic. And you talked about, and your first move, you went, you went straight to chess, because you're always going straight to chess. I am. Well, because that's, I mean, this is the, the study of chess is fundamentally the study of build orders, right? Everybody starts with an even playing field, and it is all about, if you're a serious chess player, um, you spend most of your time studying those first 15 to 20 moves. I mean, that's classic chess study. Right. You understand, oh, I can, you know, I can start with a Roy Lopez, but then I have to make this adjustment because he's playing black this way. Right. That's the classic study of chess. And and frankly, when I got to the point way back in the dawn of time when I was in college, you know, 20 some odd years ago, where I was really getting into chess enough that I started studying openings, 
it actually killed chess for me in a lot of ways. I still enjoy chess a lot now, um, but I don't really enjoy it at the level where I feel like I need to study chess openings. And I don't particularly enjoy playing against somebody who's so good that they have, you know, 15 opening lines memorized. That sort of does take all the fun out of it for me. Can you explain why? I mean, why would, because this goes something, a little bit of games, but Rob Zachney said when we talked about StarCraft II as a sport, Rob said, look, I mean, if you get up that higher level, you see, I'm just paraphrasing you, Rob, and feel free to correct me later when I ask Julian this question first. You get up to that level, and you're seeing these people who really know the game, and you can see this competitive aspect, and they're professionals, and they're doing things you couldn't possibly do, and it sort of raises your appreciation of the game. You didn't have that as a player, as a casual player in chess. Yeah, but but there's a difference between enjoying something as a spectator sport and enjoying something as uh, uh, something I actually want to spend my evening doing. I don't watch okay. other people play chess, right? I mean, I know plenty of people do. There's nothing wrong with that. There are definitely people who are students of chess and who will, you know, when there's a classic match on, they'll have the you know the screen up on their computer all day long watching it as each move happens, and they'll be really into that, and that's great. Really, but per- there are people who do that. There are lots of people who do that. Um, there's a guy I used to work with in the local coffee shop where he and I used to write next to each other. And whenever there was a big chess match on, he would watch it like intently, like a little thing would go off and he'd be like, Oh my God, I can't believe he did that. You know? And I'd be like, uh, okay. Um, and, and I <laughs> dig chess, right? I'm a strategy geek. Right. I dig it. Um, but, but to me, that's not why I play strategy games. I don't play strategy games to watch other people play strategy games. I do it because I enjoy the mental challenge of figuring it out. And I get that. For the hardcore StarCraft player or the hardcore chess player, learning those openings, right, those build orders, if you will, is a way of sort of shortcutting the beginning of the game, right? And so then the game becomes as much about execution and what you do in the middle and end game as it is about just memorizing the front. I think in video games, the challenge is something like this guy who did the genetic algorithm to come up with sort of the perfect build, if you will, although somebody I'm sure will figure out a way to counter it, um, right. is that it it often becomes the game, right? Like the perfectly executed build order becomes this kind of unstoppable nemesis, which in chess really isn't so much the case. You can take a really great tactical chess player and assuming that you're not playing on a five-minute clock – he can generally figure out the counters to most classic openings. So, Rob, uh, what's your take on this? I mean, you've played a lot of strategy games uh, of very many different types, and uh, you've played a lot of StarCraft too. You're pretty good at it. You're better than I am, which isn't saying a hell of a lot. Um, have you put a lot of effort into studying openings and how to do your StarCraft experiences, either one or two? Um, you know, I, mean, I really haven't. Um... You know, I'm just like my interest level doesn't quite rise rise to that to that degree. Um, but I'll tell I'll tell you what my view on this is is you know this this could be there's a difference between an exploit and a good opening. You know, I mean mm-hmm. where where this where this build order runs into trouble, I think for for StarCraft Two is if it's really almost unstoppable or the only way to stop it is to use a use the exact same defense every time. Um, you know, there's a perfect counter to it. Then what you've got is something that really closes off possibilities for play. And that Starcraft makes it, and that's boring, right? And you know, at, at which point that's something that needs to be 
you know, patched out of the game. Like there needs to be something to change the game to eliminate this exploit. What a, what a good opening should do, I think, and I think this is what a lot of chess openings do, is they expand the possibilities for play. Um, and this is this is what I enjoy about chess openings and and you know a StarCraft opening is there are things that I could play these games naively, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of times, mm-hmm. and not see them. I, you know, it'd be like a door that I never see. And then I see someone else employ an opening. And it's like the entire game just opened up for me. You know, they found the door that I missed. And suddenly, now that, I've, now that they've shown it to me, now the game can expand in all these interesting new directions that I never would have found myself. And that I have no problem with. Now, I can understand why that would bore... like. If you're going to get seriously into these games, and I think it's true of chess or StarCraft, if you're going to get seriously into these games, I think ultimately it does reach that level where it becomes less fun and more study, where it's more about people going through rote lines of play and whose knowledge of these lines of play, um, who's who is going to be superior in this, who's going to execute better, and that's that's not fun if you're if you, you if you actually want to enjoy these games as strategy games and not almost like knowledge exams. But that's but that's a different form of play. Yeah. Well, but I mean, RTSs have this other component. And one of those, a big component of RTS is speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these great builds. And we've seen so many great builds. I mean, original StarCraft, there are tons of different builds. I mean, we get Zerg Rush for a reason. The whole term Zerg Rush becomes so huge because, you know, this is one of the first great openings of, uh, that would trump almost anything until it was nerfed a bit and weakened. Um, one, but, you know, a Zerg Rush in the hands of, like, an imperfect player or player mm-hmm. who gets the timing wrong is suicide. Right. And RTSs right. have that component of, you know, not only do you have to have the build, but you also have to know how to carry it out properly. You have to have all the timing right. Right. I... I... To some extent, this feels I, I mean, I was a I was a really heavily addicted Magic the Gathering player for a long time. And I actually like played in tournaments. I never did very well, but I, I got into it enough that I was reading about other people's deck builds and reading about, you know, the whatever the tech was that was currently breaking the format. Um, and Magic suffers from this in spades where people, you know, a new set comes out and people try to figure out how to break it. I mean, that's that right. is the game for most people figuring out how to break right. the format of the day. Um, and, and occasionally those sort of get patched out with big air quotes around mm-hmm. it by banning certain cards from tournaments and things like that. Um, but but it becomes the game at that level is about breaking the format. And the in general, the most broken decks are the ones that require the most skill to play. And and I think that's sort of what you're saying, right? Like a Zerg rush, if you don't, re- you you can have the build order written in front of you, but if you can't execute mm-hmm. it perfectly, if you can't figure out how to adapt it, uh, you know, based on something you see on the field, and it's like, oh, well, he's building this, that means I need to adjust my strategy that way, right? That's that's a little more like what Rob's talking about, which is this idea that you're yeah. you're creating a path, but you're also expanding the possibilities and you're you're expanding your knowledge base of how to deal with certain possibilities as they unfold, as opposed to purely playing a tactical game where every turn you're reevaluating the entire game. I mean, that's the speed right. chess way of thinking about it. Okay, Troy. So we've 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 staked out positions. Now, now, where are you coming from on this to- on this question? 
You know, it's it's a tough question. It's bigger than RTSs. I and mean, we think about, uh, we do this in turn-based strategy games too. And this is one of my issues, I think, with Civilization V. I'm going to take it away a bit. I'm not going to say exactly where I stand on the entire issue because it's it's a complicated issue and it really changes from game to game and situation to situation. Are we talking casual players? Are we talking grandmasters? Are we talking what does this mean for the game? But I want to move to Civilization and take it in a bit of a different direction. Civilization is a game where Many of the victory conditions, certain types of victories, you have to start planning for on like turn yes. five or six. I mean, yeah, if, absolutely. If you, if you can't if you decide to do a wonder victory halfway through the game, right. Yeah, if you, you can't get the culture victory if you don't decide, I'm going to do this from the very beginning. Because right. your social policies will go up too high. You won't be near marble to get those important wonders going. Um, it helps if you're playing certain civilizations more than others. Like if you're playing India, uh, going for a domination win, forget it. Because you're going to be totally, totally screwed unless you do it fast. Because every new city just sends your hat unhappy right. skyrocketing. So Civilization is a game where not only where it's not about build orders, but in many ways the strategy you choose depends very heavily on which civilization you pick. And you have to decide what you're going to do pretty damn quick. Um, which some people would say takes a lot of the strategy. I'm, I'm one of these people who say that takes a lot of the strategy into the game. For me, right. strategy is about... You know, you have this grand plan, but also being able to alter it and adjust it, yep. depending on the circumstances. And yeah, I, if this is the thing with build orders that, that gets me, I'm, I'm there are I'm going to talk about build orders that are okay when I think build orders are fine in a moment. Uh, but you can reach the point where if your strategy is locked in and you have to have this plan and you have to follow it to the letter, and there are certain things you cannot do because you can't recover from them. If you're India, you can't build that fifth city and get your culture win. Because right. unhappiness, will just throw your golden ages now, you'll never recover. Um, on the other hand, you know, if you're Persia, you know, if your strategy is pretty, pretty set. You're just going golden ages constantly because Persia gets that extra bonus. I played Persia last week, and I had a 50-turn golden age because That's of all the, multipliers, all the multipliers I had going. And then I kept getting great people, so I just kept tacking them on. I think by the end it was like 60, 70 turns. Because <laughs> the, the guys I just kept adding on. Yeah, I built the Taj Mahal, and I had all the things that added on. So, but the strategy is pretty much set for Persia. If you don't get Golden Ages, Persia is pretty much a weak power, because that's, that's, that's its strength. Um, and then you use that to keep your science going. So Persia is really good science booming, science country. Uh, Babylon, the same thing. I, this is a problem for me. It's a problem for me if you have if you have to choose how you're going to win with a nation on a map, and your turns are set and your plan is set from turn five or six in a game that takes how many turns? Yeah, four hundred. I, I guess I mean I I come back a little bit to Magic the Gathering and also to sort of some classic German board game strategies here. I mean, and and I, I don't mean to make this the Magic podcast, but but to me, Magic has this really interesting discussion division between deck building and piloting and the, and piloting mm-hmm. is the term that a lot of people use when they talk about taking a, a deck that's been well tuned by other people, but they take it to a tournament mm-hmm. and they take it for a win. And it's not with total disdain that people talk about people piloting 
a classic deck to a win, right? There's a certain skill that's involved there. There's a certain, right. uh, you know, the sideboarding cards in and between games and all that stuff. Right? That that is a skill set in and of itself. But there's this right. completely clear division that all of the strategy happens before you sit down. Right. So in, in your sense, right. like before turn five, right before you even fire up Civilization five, you said, I'm playing this build because this is what I want to test. And then you pilot right. that and the, the challenge becomes one of tactically manipulating the strategy that has been set in stone. A lot of board games have a fairly similar quality where, you know, in the first three or four turns of Settlers of Catan were really in setup of Settlers of Catan you've kind of made your call, right? If you've decided that right. you're going to get all the brick and wood, if you're not trying to build roads, you're clearly not trying to win the game, right? I mean, there, there are definite strategies that are set in place very quickly in a lot of these sort of classic turn-based games like Magic and well, but Settlers the, 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 and all the, that. The big difference is something like Settlers and other board games, they can d- d- diplomacy. There's a game which has many classic openings. I um, mean, that, you know, circumstances can change very quickly. I mean, the role of the dice randomness factor in Catan, you can make say, this is what I'm going to do, but randomness will end up screwing you. Yeah, of course. That's the very nature of it. So it's a, bit, it's a kind of a difference between, this is the strategy I'm, I would like to carry forward, this is my plan, but I can be undone by fate. Well, sure, and, and, and that's magic, quite different you can from, get you know, crappy draws all the way through. Yeah, I mean, I, there, there definitely is that, and there's that ability to, to change on the fly that makes those things interesting. Where, where it becomes uninteresting, and, I, and this is why I sort of agree with your Civ Five example, is, yeah. um, you know, th- th- I'm sure there is a, some randomness, right? I mean, it's not completely written stone that you're going to lose every battle that you go up. There are percentages involved. But right. in general, over the course of the game, um, there's not all that much different about how you're going to execute a particular strategy. Right? No. How you go for no. a cultural victory is going to be pretty set in stone. And it's going to be the same no matter what nation you pick. It's better with some nations than others. It's better than archipelagos and on continents because uh, the AI is not going to come and bug you because they don't sail ships. They better fix that. Right. Um, right. So and, and so I feel like, I mean, what, what we really want games to avoid is, you know, we, we don't want them... You want to avoid, you know, the sound of inevitability. You know, where if, you know, in, in any sort of game, if, if if a build order, if if a strategy locks you into a path where at this point you can fairly accurately predict what's going to happen, then you're kind of just going through the motions. You know, like the game has lost its ability to surprise you but, um, and to delight you, and that's and and that's a danger. I think when you when you start getting these really finely tuned games that require finely tuned strategies to play them is. You know, to an extent, like tuning is a mark of you know craftsmanship, and it can be part of a great game. But if it's that delicate, then it's you know an exploit can be deadly. Yeah, but but there's also something, and this is part of why I love playing games that are very new. There is a certain joy to discovering the build order, right? I mean, there's a game I've been right. playing a lot of Horde, which is a a PlayStation Network title that like eight other people in the world are playing, but it's a great sort of real-time strategy meets board game meets two-stick yeah. shooter game. I, I think um, it's just you and Tom. The only people I know who even <laughs> have that. <laughs> but it's really, I mean, I love that it packs. It's really awesome. But part of it is there's definitely this feeling of what is the optimal way to start? And I've played a lot of this game, and I still can't tell you because you have to make some fairly early decisions about whether you harvest scarce resources or allow them to flourish. And then once you've actually earned a little bit of gold, you have to decide 
are you going to optimize for speed or combat or carrying more gold or defense? Right. And, and I have yet to really figure that out. And I'm really enjoying that sense that that's wide open. And because this is a little bit of a niche game, there aren't a thousand people out there running genetic algorithms to figure out the optimal build order for Horde. I'm sure there is one, right? I'm sure somebody could tell me, oh, well, you spend your first two points on speed and then your next point on defense. And, and that would kind of ruin it for me because there is this joy of discovering those sort of, ah, this system works. Well, that's and that's kind of what protects a lot of board games, right? I mean, I remember um, that one piece that uh, Bruce wrote for for a quarter to three, where he's talking about how with a lot of your big board games, you know, it didn't matter if it was balanced or not. It was a six-hour board game. You're going to play it like three times in your life, and if there was an exploit, you'd never find it. Right. Um, but a lot of a lot of strategy games, you do not have that kind of luxury. You've got all these eyeballs on you. In StarCraft, no game has ever had it worse than StarCraft, probably, where. You know, you've got this entire community that's looking for the best way to play, the best way to play all these races. Um, and so, I mean, if there is any sort of loophole, it's going to be found. And the problem is, you know, I mean, to an extent, I mean, it's it's part of the, one of the great things about StarCraft. But it also creates a problem in that you have a community that's hip to all of this. You know, you can you can see when you're playing multiplayer when some when some new novelty tactic hits. And a few videos go up showing it work really well. You know, if you're playing in lower brackets, where I'm unfortunately mired most of the time, um, you're going to see that almost move like a wave yep. through the communities. People are like, hey, that's a cool tactic. I'm going to try that. Um, and, you know, and, and when you, if you've got a really powerful tactic, then the whole community bandwagons on it. And then you've got a problem because you've got people playing basically iterations on the same game yeah the and, same match right but but i guess you know again there's this there's this distinction it depends how the game makes you feel about it and, and that sounds very touchy-feely but but if you feel like you're, you're piloting i am a touchy-feely kind of guy but if you feel like you're piloting a strategy to victory that isn't your mm -hmm. own but you kind of know that's what you're doing that has a certain satisfaction all itself um, so, so it really does come down to, are you playing a game where you think you're playing the strategy in real time and figuring it out and responding? And the other guy is working some predefined strategy that's been battle proven. That's when it's not fun. It's when both players are really, or, you know, and the whole group of players is engaged at the same level that it's the most fun. At least it is to me. So about build orders, I mean, build orders are not new. We have with StarCraft II and Civ V and Magic's, you know, building the perfect deck. You could see that as, you know, having like the perfect strategy laid out. And I'm not sure it's a perfect deck in such an imperfect game as Magic the Gathering, oh. one of the most imperfect games ever made. Oh. Oh. Uh, but we have, well, you know, I just had to get that out there. Uh, we, but I think about um, my first experience with build orders was with Age of Empires, way, way back. And the idea was... On the internet, people would write instructions on how to age up in, like, five minutes. How to get everything like as you're aging up in five minutes. And that was the plan. That was the goal. And this was sort of a test of your skills. If you can't do this in five minutes, you'll get killed online. And here's how you do it. And, it's, you know, it's very basic. And pretty much after that, though, they kind of left you on your own. No one said, okay, because how many races were there in the first stage of Empires? Like, 15? 
They couldn't Many. give you a strategy that would always work if you were playing the Babylonians. Right, and because, that's, you know, the, that's a problem with the rock, paper, screwed. scissors mentality, which is you're only ever dealing with two options. Right. So uh, one of the issues of this, with this uh, genetic algorithm build order, which I will link to, uh, it's a Zerg one, uh, I'll link to it at the bottom of the podcast when I find the post again, is that it's not just a build order. It is, in fact, a total template. It's, it's a victory just, order. Yeah. Yeah, it's a victory order. It's not just how do you it's get to the next step. It's a build order and a tactic. Step. It is how do you you want to get to this final destination. Here's everything you have to do. It's really laid out. Now, I think that eventually someone's going to find a counter to it. But sure, we get back to chess right. or to magic where if you know somebody is playing a particular strategy going in, you can yep. play the perfect counter. Right, you'll lose against right. everybody else, but you'll win that match against that particular strategy. Yeah, except where fog of war comes in, right? That's how StarCraft Two is different from chess. I mean, chess, everybody sees the board. Right. You're going to see the real Lopez. You're going to see the Sicilian Gambit. You're going to see that coming at you. I'm not going to know if he's, you know, done that exploit to have the extra harvester thingy going um, until I get my scout out there. And by then, it may be too late to counter. It may not be. Um. So but this whole idea of a victory order, and but you know, I go back to Age of Empires. Uh, what really I liked about that five-minute build order thing really taught me a lot about the game. It taught me about you know what's important, what's not important, uh, what are your priorities in the opening game, things you don't have to worry about. I mean, lots of new players coming in, they build a barracks and say, "I want to get some clubbing out there and start kicking some gazelle butt." You know, the build order pretty much says that's not important at this point. It teaches you right. you can wait on that. Here are your priorities. This is what a build order, and that's how a build order can be educational. And what Rob said about a chess opening, it expands the game for you because it tells you what your, it helps you decide what is important at a certain stage in the game. And at the very first part of the game, nobody's coming after you. You can pretty much fight off the roving club clubmen with whatever you've got hanging around. Um, there aren't going to be that many of them, and all your villagers can kick his butt anyway. Just focus on getting the food up. Get the because all the cool, really cool stuff is the next stage, and you want to get there as quickly as possible. So I think, I mean, you can see that in computer games where a build order does expand the game for you. I'm not sure you can see that in a really deep victory order or in really constrained choose now and choose wisely uh, like you find in Civ Five. But it's certainly possible for, you know, opening moves in a computer game, in an RTS, to say, to teach you about the game. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Woohoo, it made sense today. Well, so one thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about is that, you know, I, I feel a little bit like we're in sort of an accelerating age, right? I mean, how old is StarCraft II? A, a few months, right? Yeah. It's not like yeah. this game has been around for a thousand years, right? I right. mean, so it's not, it's not quite like we've had, you know, people testing chest openings. Over the decades, well, it's been a way. It's been around. It's been around for a few months. They found this opening, and it was distributed across the internet within well, like days of it being discovered. And, and that's sort of what my thing is. And not only was it distributed across the internet, it was distributed across the internet not just as a series of do this A B C D E in text, right. but it was right. distributed with a video of somebody executing it. Mm-hmm. And and that that starts to feel a little bit like playing on autopilot because at that point i mean you might as well just code a macro right i mean at that point are you even really playing the game if you've decided well i guess you know the first the first five seven minutes of this game are completely scripted 
So why am I even bothering to play it? I might as well code my genetic algorithm to run my mouse and keyboard for me. Well, and see, this is this is the thing. Like, I think like I think that that is a problem, and I suspect that this is going to be solved either by the community discovering some easy countermeasures, or what I think is slightly more likely. Uh, Blizzard stepping in to rectify the problem. Well, they'll you know, like they'll nerf the eleventh harvester, right. but and things like that. What worries me is the idea of an automatic way to search out whatever the game-winning strategy is under this current build of StarCraft. Because because then you're basically so the, 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 the mere existence of this genetic algorithm bothers you. You think it's Skynet? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think but I think it could create. You know, sort of a chasing the dragon situation where, okay, well, this, you know, we found under this build, you know, the seven roach opening is is going to win pretty much every game as the Zerg. Okay, um, so Blizzard fixes it, but then they run the program again, and now under these new va- under these new values, what else is going to bubble the surface? At which okay. point you've got it's not even fad strategy because they're not fads if they're actually working. But but don't you think that don't you think that the poor poor guys at Activision Blizzard can afford to pay for this server time themselves. I mean, you know, these tools aren't available only to the internet. Oh, I'm, yeah, absolutely. Um, they should they should probably get out ahead of it. Um, but I really I really don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the precedents are for this because if if I understand this correctly, the way this thing worked is it was playing. It was playing basically matches against you know player it was playing matches against itself where play it's testing different build orders right different tactics and seeing which ones survive um and then there was one and what i don't know is i don't know how easy it is to create a game that's never going if you've got a program like that sorting through all the possibilities i don't know how easy it is to create a game that doesn't expose itself to a program like that finding an exploit. But well, but, I mean, but shouldn't shouldn't one, Blizzard be testing for those exploits themselves? I mean, well, and I, I get that there's a limited amount of development time, but presumably Blizzard can afford to spend a little bit of money on a game like this, which they know is going to be heavily competitive, heavily multiplayer, where people are going to do this kind of things is, I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting there is, I'm asking this as a question. Is there some onus on a developer like blizzard to test that way? The same way that the internet community is going to beat on it. Oh, I think they're going to have to now in the future. Yeah. I mean, I I think this is the impression I'm getting is this is actually quite a new way of testing this. I mean, people have done this sort of thing humanly before. It's been brute force, and people have learned things that work. Um, But this is the first time it's been automated, more than anything else. So it's quite possible that as smart as Blizzard is, and as metrics-heavy as they are, uh, really no company does metrics better and more thoroughly. Um, They probably even thought this was a possibility, that they could have the computer play against itself and discover all of these things, because... To this point, Blizzard's best players have been the human players. But but um, but wait, I have to, I have to call BS on that a little bit. I mean, we had yeah. I think we had Blair Fraser from Ironclad on mm-hmm. who yeah. talked about how they tested. I mean, this is a group of three guys in a garage essentially. I mean, it's a little bit bigger than that, but not much, not compared to the mammoth, you know, potential right. of something like Blizzard. And they talked right. about how they would sort of leave servers on overnight playing against each other trying to find bugs. 
So this isn't right. like rocket science. Well, yeah, tr- I mean, tr- trying to find bugs is not the same as trying no, but, to find no, but trying to find exploits, trying to find exploits. Right. Doing they, they, t- they we had them on this show talking about exactly that process of trying to figure out balance by turning the servers on and letting them play against each other for days at a time until mm-hmm. one of them had discovered the best way to win and then tweaking that to balance it back down. So if right. if, if the Fraser brothers have got this figured out, I have to assume the Blizzard's got that figured out, right? Well, I, I feel like I feel like we've ran smack into the limits of our expertise here. Um, <laughs> You're suggesting we have some. <laughs> I, I suspect we may not know what the hell we're talking about. Like, I have a vague understanding of how this thing works. What I don't understand is how it differs from standard balance testing. You know what I mean? Like, the, as far, like my understanding of this thing is it plays a lot of matches. It see what bubbles to the surface as a, as a successful strategy. I don't understand how that differs from what any RTS developer does to identify weaknesses and loopholes well, in the, the setup. The, the difference is the classic way. I mean, I, I know a little bit about this. The, okay. the classic way of testing a strategy game is you get actual people playing it and you take their feedback and you say, gosh, you know, the Zerg are really overpowered. I can do this four things in the beginning and I can just win every game. Then you go back and you tweak it and then you try it again. Right. right. The idea of genetic algorithms is that you engage in a number of conflicts and the things that are successful survive to reproduce and try variations. Right? Yeah. That's what genetic, genetic algorithms do. Things that don't succeed are killed off. It's an evolutionary right. algorithm. Right. So, you know, the, the whole point here is you compress, you know, what might have been a thousand playtest sessions 10 years ago in developing a strategy game that you were dealing with human beings. You can do those thousand playtest sessions as fast as the computers can play them out. Right. Yeah, and the big thing is, once again, you have the, the winning strategies playing against each other till one comes up to the top. And it learns. Uh, it's, it, I've, seen, I've read about this sort of thing before in decision-making uh, theory uh, stuff. It's you know, at the very basic level. It's, this is the first time it's really been done that I've read about to a, you know, a large-scale AAA RTS. Um, now, this could be exaggeration. I don't know. If someone can point to another example of genetic algorithms being used to do this sort of thing, uh, you know where to find me, and please comment in the comment section. So, I mean, but, I mean, for Blizzard, I'm sure Blizzard could do this and could probably do this sort of thing, but I wonder if they even want to. What, whether that, Blizzard I mean, would want to do this sort of thing? Yeah, but yeah, I mean, first of all, they can freelance this stuff out to find. <laughs> well, they can freelance it out to all these free people on the internet that will play right, this which stuff is like great. crap. We're going to be doing. We're going to be doing it anyway. Um, so now this genie's out of the bottle, and people know how to do this. They're going to be people are going to be fighting all these bugs and exploits, and you know there some there are the first StarCraft has a few exploits they left in. Mm-hmm. An app glitch of some sort that they did not patch out, and they chose that. that that's a le- that's not cheating. That's legitimate exploit of the strategy of the game or something. And so it's not like they patch everything out. Um, now it wouldn't take a lot. But one of the beauties of StarCraft, beauties of many RTSs, um, is that to break this strategy, all you really need to do is change a couple of variables, like uh, an attack number. You can change that by one or two in other in either direction. And that could undo this strategy entirely. Um, it would change the game in very dramatic ways. Uh, everyone who's invested in certain cost-benefit analyses might be kind of annoyed. But, I mean, Blizzard patches their games forever. Uh, so it wouldn't take a whole lot to break this, because it is a very delicate victory thing. 
Now, it's very powerful. Uh, my friend who complained about uh, how it makes him hate the strategy games, he told me that his son tried this strategy out in a 3v3 game the other night. And he wiped out all the other three players before his teammates even saw them. <laughs> but he also said, you know, it's not a perfect build. You know, there are ways to counter this, and he didn't think the guys were that good anyway. But it's very powerful. But I could see how, you know, it wouldn't take a lot to undo this by increasing the cost of, say, a roach or something. No, and, and the other thing is that What's great about what's great about what you were talking about earlier, Julian, where this thing propagates throughout the internet and there's video and everything, it also means that everybody understands what's going on almost instantly. Like this thing crops the surface, but it's not like you know there's people who are in the know and they're abusing the system. Everyone knows that this is out there, right? And so it's already it's becoming known issue. Now the question is going to come down to whether or not. The players sorted out themselves by discovering that it turns out that isn't the Jesus build, and there is a way to bring it down, or it's going to come down to Blizzard tweaking the game. But what's great is that you don't have these things sort of festering. I'm sorry, I was distracted by someone going the wrong way up a street in a very dangerous way. Um, You don't have these things festering in the community. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Information it, is power, right? Right. I mean, that's the upside of this is that the, you know, to the extent something like this is purely an exploit, these things can mm-hmm. be fixed quite quickly, right? We live in a world of patches, right? Ten yeah. years ago, you know, if a game was busted, it was just busted, and if somebody figured out the Jesus build, people would pretty much stop playing it because there was no chance you were ever going to compete. Um, I think it's quite likely that something like this does get a few patches, particularly the sort of harvester exploit. I mean, that seems like an obvious uh, sort of, you know, abuse, right? That seems like a bug, not a feature, right? It's a little, it's it's not bunny hopping. It's just broken. Um, And, and it's not like there's a particular amount of skill that's involved in taking advantage of that exploit. You just have to know it's there. Right. So, um, do you guys have any favorite build orders? Things you would always do in a game? Things you've done? It's sort of either a personal thing that you find works for you, or just a personal habit. And I say this because I was, I'm working on a, on a, I'm working on a collaborative project, and I'm playing Civ Five with somebody, and this person asked, "Well, what should I build first? A complete newbie to newbie to the game?" And that's a pretty good question. I thought, well. Do I want to tell this person what I build first? Look at their situation, say what they should build first? Um, and I was immediately thinking about, well, what do I have I read online compared to what do I do? Which are two very different things. Uh, so there are things that you guys do because they're ways you've always done things that go against the conventional build order wisdom? Or are you one of these people who learns something and carries out the optimal strategies? I tend to fall in love with build orders. Uh, I tend to fall in love with openings. Um, oh yes, mainly I think mainly because I know it leaves me vulnerable because again predictability is danger. But the thing is, there's also a lot of strength that comes from knowing the terrain you're on. You know where you get really good at what possibilities open to you with this opening, what dangers are inherent to it, and then you begin learning how to develop from that opening. And right. I, I I'm not. You know, I'm not enough of a savant to have a bunch of openings that I all understand the strengths and weaknesses of them and where I can go from there. 
I really need to know. I really didn't know kind of what like from a couple things. I need like when I started the game, I need to know generally what I'm going to be doing and what I need to look out for. Um, I don't want to be going in with a full menu of options. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I mean, the, the the pad answer is I always open E4, right? I mean, that's that's the the chess answer. It's like, do you learn D openings Everybody or E openings? Opens, everyone opens E4. Well, nope. <laughs> it's like it's like sixty percent. It's not it's not everybody, yeah. but I at the professional do. level it, level, it's like I think sixty oh, something for, for, percent. Rob's, Rob's one of those guys who moves his rooks pawn. <laughs> there you go. But I mean, but 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 I mean, I say that, but I actually I actually sort of mean it as a broader sense, which is that I open E4, but I don't necessarily always play Sicilians and I don't always play, you know, bad Roy Lopez or Kings Gambits. Right. I, I open E4s because I kind of know what the game looks like after that. And I sort of feel the right. same way about most um, strategy games. I mean, in and mm-hmm. even in Civilization five or Civilization four. Um, like at this point I have gone through and tried to, or I, I think at this point I've actually successfully gotten at least one victory of every kind at some point in Civ five on some level of difficulty, right? I'm not going to claim I'm super awesome, but I'm just saying I've at least gone through that path, but, but I sort of know if I'm going to play a competitive game, um, or if I'm actually just sort of going to play a lazy game, I kind of know basically what I'm going to do for the first 50 turns. Right. I mean, if I'm going to do a basic domination victory, I kind of know what that's going to look like. And then I sort of let it evolve after that. So I guess I would say, you know, from from the perspective of like a full game of chess, I kind of know what I'm going to do for the first five or eight moves. But I never really get a whole lot deeper than that. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of these. I'm, I, I'm a dabbler. Um, I'm one of these guys who... Uh, I don't study a lot of openings. I don't research a lot of openings. I really dapple in most games I play, so I never get really, really good at them. Part of it is I keep being distracted by new shiny things. Uh, so I play. I quickly move from game to game to game. Uh, despite all of my issues with Civilization V and their Legion, I'm still playing a lot of it. Um, so, I mean, for me, in most openings and most strategy games, and thinking turn-based and real-time strategy, the real question for me is, when do I build my first military unit? And that's what it comes down to for me. How long can I go just building my economy? How late can I go into the build before I bring out an archer or I bring out a warrior or I bring out a spearman? And that's, for me, is kind of the pace setter. Uh, the longer I can go without doing that, the more I get to do the fun stuff in strategy games for me, which is the building. I really like building in RTSs. I'm kind of a turtler. Hmm. So the longer I can go without building a military unit, that's really a really nice build for me. Uh, that's great. I mean, then somebody comes in, usually Tom Chick, who then rides my guys <laughs> to death uh, with his hussar, saying, good game, good game, as he stabs all my people in the chest. Uh, but that's when I, that's what, a good, fun build is one that lets me you know, see as much of the game as I can before I have to get into the nasty business of fighting. Um, but that's my own, per- that's, those are builds that adapt to my personal style games that so that's a question i often have how long can i go without building an army hmm. um so but once again that's uh, so i guess that's my ruby lopez that, that's my weak ruby lopez i mean you know that you're going to catch me with very little of an army if you do a little rush on me because that's just not the way i tend to play it's not a great opening it's not an opening that will win me many games sure that's not every an opening. Now that's then. denial <laughs> yes well that's a different kind of I'm going for the economic victory going for the wonder victory yeah, or or or, or, or booming, 
you know, I turtle and then I boom with a whole bunch of units coming at it once, which is easier in Age of Empires 3 than Age of Empires 1. So, that, so, I mean, so I, I, in many ways, I look for builds that kind of appeal to me and work for me. Um, I look at Civilization 5 and the question is, when do I build my... The big question of Civilization always, since the first Civ, is when do you build your first Settler? This is a big question right. for the first three Civs, where they cost population to build. Right. You couldn't just churn them out. So sometimes you had to wait. But in Civ 4 and Civ 5, they don't cost population, but they do take time. When the they freeze question growth. is when, when they freeze growth. So when do you expand? When do you plant that first city? And in Civ 5, that's a really tough question. Because that every city increases unhappiness, every city increases increases your social policy cost. These are not light decisions. So you know a build that can tell people when the best time to do that is. Now in Civ, will largely depend on your the culture you choose. I mean, that's those are things. I, those are questions I find interesting. Those are debates I find interesting. But I can't say it's something I actually research and go out and look for. Um, I certainly could. I, I mean, I know a lot of people in the Civ Fanatics forums, and I often read uh, the stuff there at Civ Legacy and other places, but I very rarely read build orders. And I, does that make me kind of weird? No, I mean, I, I'm i of two minds. Like, with Civ Five, I found myself lately sort of looking for other strategies because I find that the way I play is getting a little stale for me. And I want to see other ways to break out of that. But I'm always a little apprehensive about looking into a game because, like, you go into Game Facts, you don't know what you're going to find in there, right? You know, and like, there are ways to there, there are ways where you're going to find out things you, you you frankly wish you didn't. Like, you know, if there's a if there's a really obvious gaping hole in the AI, or there's a really optimal you know strategy. A lot of times you wish you didn't know it, but once because once you're aware of it, you can't unsee it. You know, you yeah. you are always aware that this is present in the game, and yes. you have to you have to work around it somehow, or you have to embrace it. Um, and there's a lot of times I, I just don't want to know. Uh, I, I kind of want to enjoy the illusion that the game is what I think it is. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that, the whole unknowing thing is a big problem for me. Because um, so, especially when you get into bad habits. Like, you learn a bad build order and end up getting screwed because uh, you don't catch up and see as knowledge. This is what I think with StarCraft, too. Is The knowledge is just moving so fast. There's no way I can keep up with it. I mean, forget it. I mean, maybe Chris Remo and Rob Zachney and all of South Korea are really up on <laughs> what the next, uh, what the new great build order is, but I'm so far behind. Um, I haven't even seen the point. I haven't played StarCraft 2 in so long because I know I'm so far behind. I yeah, have to I'm, play it more before the end of the year. But that, that that gets back to my point about sometimes I like to be playing a little game nobody really knows that much because you get that joy of discovery and you have the opportunity yeah. to be like, oh, I discovered a strategy and for a day or two, I'll win with it. Right? The chances yeah. of me being competitive at StarCraft 2, zero. All right, but I'm gonna throw the I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw the flag on that because, well, no, I, I'm I'm going back to your friend's comment, Troy. This is why I don't play yeah. strategy. I think that is, it is way too easy and out to say the existence of these openings of these strategies somehow diminishes what you can get out of the game. It's just uh, again, it's that 
it's that it's that piloting uh what was the dichotomy Julian piloting uh, a deck versus, versus building. building a deck right right it, part of it is that dichotomy i mean even if you know what the what the good strategies are there's still a lot to learn about executing them and recognizing the other guys yeah. um strategies i just i think it's way too easy for sort of a, a mythos to build up around a community like StarCraft II where, oh man, everybody's playing that game. They're they're hooked up to the latest build orders and they're watching all the videos and they know exactly what's going on. And if you get into playing it, you discover it's 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 not quite that bad. That you don't always feel like you're late to the party and you don't know what's going on. Because the thing is, all you're doing is you're you're stepping into the game as it exists at a certain point. A lot of strategies have come and gone you don't need to know how you know how they came, how they went. You just sort of have to play the game as it is right now and pick up from there. And I think that's I think that's a much lower barrier to entry than than people think it is. Like I think StarCraft Two gets talked up too much for being yeah. an expert's game, and that kind of that kind of denigrates it. I think. Yeah, and plus uh, Blizzard's matchmaking is excellent uh, for keeping people <laughs> at the right level. Uh, for yeah, the most it part, is. you're not it going is. to be. You're not going to be jumping in and playing against uh, anybody who's really, really good if you're just starting. And you can learn. Um, I can't because I don't have time to learn because I'm so far behind in the work I have to do already. Uh, but I would like to get back into StarCraft quite soon. I'm thinking maybe in December I'll have a new, some new situations going on and I'll be able to find some time to get back into StarCraft II. Uh, we're going to stop that there, uh, but I am going to put in a couple of reminders, at least one uh, reminder. Uh, I forgot to mention this last week, but there is going to be another Washington, D.C. meetup, and that is going to be on November the 20th. The location, this is Washington, D.C. area, so suburban Maryland, uh, northern Virginia, please come, and you can see me, at least. I can't promise anybody else will be there. But uh, I liked to have a great time uh, in the summer with the small group that showed up. So I'll be there again. I'll have another one this fall, November 20th. Still going to nail down the time and the location. They will be posted on Flash of Steel, and I will give you the final details on next week's podcast so you can listen to it once again november the 20th probably shooting again for a mid-afternoon thing so people can have some beer and think about uh, having a late lunch so i'll hold them over or whatever um i have also received emails asking why people in massachusetts aren't having meetups because there are two of them there and you don't have to ask me you can always ask them uh but you don't always need me for a meetup and certainly rob and julian who are great people might want to host one someday, but that's on them, uh, not on me. Man, pressure, pressure, pressure. We, we're popular. <laughs> uh, I want to thank everybody for uh, listening, and we're getting a lot, getting a lot of nice emails. Uh, people appreciating the show, and that's great. Once again, October hit uh, 20,000 downloads, which was nice. It's always nice to have a really good month. Uh, professionally speaking, it was great. So, uh, well done. Keep listening. Spread the word. And next week's topic still to be determined, though coming up later this month, we will be having another classic game analysis, and then we will have a show I've been, waiting, been putting off for a while uh, with a guest who is often uh, requested for a return visit, and he will be here the last week of November. But we have no t- topic yet for next week. I'll figure it out when I get back from California. Uh, say goodnight, guys.
Good night, guys. Good night, everyone.